This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 212, and we're recording on December 18th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and my bottle of Dayquil. (laughs) Holiday colds are terrible. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. I've had it for like a week. I mean, it's fine. I'm on the tail end of it. I just know that I sound a little, you know whatever, like a smoker, um, which I am not, so. It's your Delilah after dark voice. <laughs> it is. Delilah. That was good. That was all in my nose right there. Um, <laughs> so this is a special episode for, for two reasons. It's our last episode of the year and of the decade, which what? is bananas. Oh, my God. I know. I did not realize it until you just said that. I know. <laughs> um, and it is also our resolutions episode. So we did this last year. I think last year was the first year we'd done it, um, mm-hmm. where the first episode of the year in January, we talk about some of the best books that we read that or that we recommend that uh, can help you with some of your New Year's resolutions. I am a big resolution maker and like goal setter, planner, 45 apps. Love it. Love all of it. <laughs> I love all of it. Um, so this is very much my jam. Uh, if you are new to this show, this is not how it normally works. Usually we answer listener questions. So if you have or need a reading recommendation or have a reading recommendation request for yourself or your book club or a gift or whatever, um, you can send those to us. We will answer them on the show. Our email is getbooked at bookriot.com or you can drop your question in the form on the bottom of the show notes um, on the site. We ask for your email address because if we've already answered your question, which you probably don't know if we have or not because we're 212 episodes in, we will email you back. Um, or if your question is time sensitive, we're not going to get to it, we will email you back in that case as well. Okay, so that's how the show works uh, generally. We don't have any feedback this week, so I think we're just going to roll in. I think we'll take a break real quick for our first sponsor, and then we will start talking about our resolution books. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. At She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. 
But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jen, why don't you kick us off? Because I know you've been itching to talk about this one for a bit. Yeah, and it's all your fault. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I did that. Mm. You did. You did. So uh, a couple episodes ago, Amanda recommended How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. The subtitle is Resisting the Attention Economy. And I was so sold on this that I bought a hardcover in the next bookstore I was in. Also, for the record, the cover is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It's all these like lush roses. Um, because a lot of this is written from the perspective of Jenny visiting this local rose garden, which is amazing. And I am about halfway through it. And I wouldn't normally recommend a book that I'm not done with, but like there's reasons. And, <laughs> and it's, it's so interesting. So this grew out of a keynote address that Odell did at a conference and she is an artist. And she teaches at at a university in Northern California. And she gave a keynote address called How to Do Nothing that is, you know, was aimed at other academics and artists about this idea of, you know, how do we take back our attention from all the technology that's using toxic design to hold us. You know, I think it's pretty well documented at this point. A lot of us have seen these stories about, you know, the way that things are designed to keep you coming back to them over and over and over again, because that's how these companies make their money. They, you know, rely on our attention and our willingness to interact with their platforms to then sell data to marketers, basically, is how that works. Uh, And, you know, even in terms of like Book Riot, you know, we rely on page views to get money to run ad campaigns. Like if you are looking at the site, you know, you're looking at an ad and that's true of across the internet. But some people do more toxic things than others and especially like Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, and Twitter. Like there's been documentation around all of this. And so Odell is digging into like if you – a lot of us are just like, well, I'll just stop using it. But that's not – that's actually not an option for lots of folks. Like we have to use the internet for our jobs, um, a lot of us. And – Also, maybe you don't want to just disconnect. Maybe you want to be a part of the conversation, but you want to do it in a way that is not, you know, sort of destroying your own attention and digging into that toxic design. And this is her ruminating on how that might be possible. And also, you know, all of the philosophy and sort of, I don't know how to say it. Like she's thinking critically about attention, like what it means to pay attention to something, what it means to give something your attention for an extended period of time versus a little bit of time. And there's ways that you can do that that have more ownership than others and more intention than others. So even if you spend the same amount of time looking at a thing, the way you approach it might be different and therefore might work with your brain differently. And this is such an interesting thing to think about. And I know that I really struggle with how much and when to interact with social media in particular since, you know, the election in particular. But before that, even, it feels really easy to get sucked into the cycle and the feedback loop and the echo chamber. And But I also don't want to not be part of it. And so finding ways to do that that are useful but also healthy for me is a struggle. And I appreciate the way that Odell is offering her own thoughts and perspectives on it. And she is a woman of color and as well as an artist. So her perspective is very interesting to me because, you know, a lot of these books like Jaron Lanier has been writing about this for like decades probably at this point. But he has a very particular perspective. And I appreciate Odell's perspective on this a lot. I've been under lining and notating and and I have I'm not agreeing with everything she's saying I do think that there's a certain amount of privilege involved in being able to think critically about how you use your attention that not everybody has time or you know space or the resources for and so I do think that design 
needs to be considered and the companies need to have responsibility for how they're designing things. But I do also appreciate this idea that like we can reclaim our attention and here are some thoughts on how we might go about doing that. So if you are struggling with, you know, that feeling, uh, this book is so interesting. It's such a good read. I think it's very accessible as well as very thoughtful. There is a lot of academic stuff in it and philosophical stuff, but you can take it little by little. The essay chapters are pretty short. And yeah, and it's not a long book overall. So I just, I'm definitely recommending it all of the places I can think to recommend it. I've like texted people about this. I've been (laughs) posting about it online, which feels silly, you know, to post about a book (laughs) about resisting social media on social media. But here we are. Uh, So that is my recommendation for you if you are struggling with similar things as I am. I feel like she would appreciate that. Like the irony. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. I hope so. So again, that's How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny Odell. You know, the reason why I think I like that book so much more than Deep Work, which is the book most people tell you about, about like getting mm. off social media, which is a book by Cal Newport, is that Deep Work, as you can probably guess from the title, is about how to get off social media so you can grind harder. Oh, no. And Jenny O'Dell is so against capital, like late stage capitalism as a concept, mm-hmm. like it's made, one of the big theses of the book, I think. And so she's not telling you get off social media so you can, you know, be better at your hustle and like focus better at your job. It's like get yeah. off social media and go literally smell a flower, like smell right. the flower, smell it. <laughs> right. And I like love that, that it's not about getting out of one toxic system so that you can get further entrenched in another one. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she really digs into the commodification of attention mm-hmm. and and how, yeah, a lot of the self-care industry and mindfulness is about selling you like, this will make you better at your job. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, what if I don't want to be a better at my job? No. Like, what if I just want to be a person? Right, like, yeah. What if I want to be a healthy, happy person? I just want to have like good mental health in this yeah. world. <laughs> like, that's mm-hmm. it. So my first pick is very related. So we we do have like an opening theme for you here. It's called Indistractable. It's by Nir Eyal. And if you're familiar with this guy's name, it's because in 2014, he wrote a book called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. So he knows of what he speaks. And he's a Silicon Valley dude. He like graduated from Stanford and went on to work in Silicon Valley, helping companies develop apps that are designed around capturing and keeping your attention and keeping you coming back and giving you those little dopamine bursts. So you always want to scroll, 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 scroll. So he knows of what he speaks. Um, and then in that same way that like, you know, Zuckerberg doesn't let his kids get on Facebook and the Apple guys don't let their kids have iPhones, like, near y'all realized that he was creating these products that he himself was not getting any benefit out of and that like we're actually starting to annoy him because he would go out to eat and all of his friends instead of talking to him would be like screwing around on their phone so he wrote this book indistractable how to control your attention and choose your life which i really appreciated because it comes from the perspective of someone who knows exactly how these products are built and exactly how these apps are designed to get you to continue paying attention to them to your own detriment even when you don't really want to just like compulsive attention paying and it differs from odell's but i mean odell's book is much more like i think philosophical and political and this one is a bit more like practical in that no, really, here are the buttons to push on your phone to make your phone less distracting to you kind of mm. way. Um, and, like, how to turn off the dings and the bips and the blips. And, like, here are some, like, it's very hacky kind of. And I appreciate that it has a chapter about kids and technology because my kids are eight years old and they are very into screens in the way that all kids are. And that, like, mm-hmm. we have to purposefully limit their access. And I think most parents do and will forever until the end of time now. Um, but... Any advice or information I can get, especially from an industry insider, um, about how to turn those switches off a little bit and get my kids to care a little less about, you know, putzing around on YouTube or whatever. Like, I want that information because I want to feel as, like, armed (laughs) against this (laughs) onslaught as I can possibly be. Um, So if you want, I think that reading both of these, maybe back to back, would be really interesting. Like Mm. Like a philosophical foundation for why your attention should be more in your own control and then like some practical ideas for um beyond go smell the flower which you should do but also like also put your iphone in this particular mode at this particular time so that you aren't constantly feeling like you need to check it like i like that kind of hacky stuff so i liked it so it's indistractable how to control your attention and choose your life by near a y'all awesome my next pick is a very different direction <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> 
It is The AI Who Loved Me by Alyssa Cole, specifically the audio. And I will start off by saying this is an Audible original. So lots of you probably already have an Audible account. Um, if you don't, I apologize in advance for how I'm <laughs> going to talk about this. But I am on record as not listening to audiobooks. Like, that is a thing that I have talked about before. I have really struggled with retaining any heard information if I'm not also seeing it. Like, that's just sort of how my brain works. And I've also struggled with staying engaged in an audiobook. It's been very, very hard for me um, to do that. So I, you know, just really don't audio. But because this is an Audible original and therefore exclusive, when I was asked if I was interested in listening to an early copy, also Regina Hill and Mindy Kaling are voice actors on it. I was like, okay, I have a flight coming up. I can do this. Like I have a, I have a five hour flight. This is a five hour audiobook. Like I love Alyssa Cole's work. She's a friend. Like I want to hear this. So I will make this work. So I did. I listened to this audiobook on the plane. And I will say that I did not know what to do with my eyes. Like, <laughs> like I'm sitting and I was in a middle seat. So I'm just sitting there sort of staring at the seat back in front of me feeling like a weirdo. <laughs> and it was very frustrating. I was like, I just don't know what to do with my eyes. And I will also confess that I fast forwarded the sex scenes because I was so, I was using my good headphones, but I was so nervous that my seatmates were gonna like overhear <laughs> that I was just like bloopity bloop 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 like let's just fast forward by thirty seconds until we get to the end of this bit. Oh <laughs> so you know, sometime when I am not in public in like very close quarters with other humans, I might go back and re-listen to some of this. But regardless, it was a full cast audiobook and I really enjoyed the experience and I realized that if I had had like my cross stitching for example mm. although they're not going to let me bring needles on a plane but you know what mm. I mean like if I had had something to occupy my hands with that otherwise did not require a lot of brain power I could have done this and I was just like oh so this is possible for me like it's it's got to be the right situation and it probably has to be like the right audiobook I mean this was very well produced and of course it's Alyssa Cole so I loved the story and loved the characters and was really engaged but yeah it kind of got me thinking like okay maybe 2020 is the year that I listen to more audio and just figure out, you know, like it, it, maybe it's not going to happen all the time, but I do a fair amount of crafting. And I knew in theory that that was the thing that people did, but it just, you know, I'm usually, I've got like Shit's Creek or something on in the background while I'm cross stitching because obviously. Right. So, but like when I'm done with that, cause I am almost done, like what will I watch? Like this could be, uh, audiobooks could be a good option. There will be an ebook of this and a paperback are generally available. So I want to pitch this story to you very briefly that has nothing to do with audio specifically, just like this is why you should read this book when you get a chance or listen to it um, because it's about a woman who lives in like an interesting near future and she is recovering from an incident. You really don't know what. And she is really sort of like she can't leave her house. Like she's afraid to use the elevator. She's dealing with a lot of trauma. And then she gets and she has a run in with like a very sexy new neighbor guy who behaves very strangely and is, you know, very he feels he's like immediately interesting to her for reasons she doesn't fully understand. And this is like a Terminator slash spy thriller slash romance rom-com that I didn't know that I wanted. It is so much fun. The action is so great. All of the characters are fantastic. Mindy Kaling specifically voices the buildings like AI. It's so funny. It's so funny. But also like goes really deep because of course it does. And she's, you know, dealing with trauma and like government conspiracies and all of these crazy things. It's just so much fun. Uh, so highly recommended. And also it has like opened the door for me to consider more audiobooks in my life. Um, although I probably will go with Libro FM if we're being honest here. Mm -hmm. But again, that is The AI Who Loved Me by Alyssa Cole. Alrighty. My second book is I'm realizing now that my theme for the first few is like the hustle is dumb. 
So my second book is Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less by Alex Sujong Kim Pong. So if you have any kind of resolutions around like sleeping better or not working so much, if you are one of those folks who has, you know, like several side hustles or you're a freelancer and like all you do is grind, that I am very familiar with that life. Um, And so this book is about how you are actually doing yourself a disservice in your work when all you do is work. Um, So he does a lot of historical and modern day like anecdotal studies of different people over time who have who are really, really high performers in their industries and how a lot of the time they cashed out of work after like a few hours. Um, So, for example, Charles Darwin very famously only worked a few hours during the morning and then went for walks that lasted two or three hours and then would come home and work for a few more hours in the afternoon and then was done Um, and like, you know, changed the world. (laughs) And there are a lot of people that he interviews, not just people from like the Victorian era where all you did was walk or farm, um, but also modern day people who, you know, like composers and not just creatives, but like inventors and people who work in tech and all kinds of people across all kinds of industries whose lives have been shaped by this idea that working more than 40 hours a week actually hurts your brain. And if you aren't taking your vacation days and if you aren't taking advantage of your weekends and um, take if you have the ability taking time during the day to like literally stare off into space, whatever that looks like for you going for a walk or whatever, um, if you're Darwin, um, and letting your brain chill because you're running subroutines constantly. And if all you do is, is grind, 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 you're not letting your mind process any of the problems you pre- presented to it throughout the day. So you're always going to be performing at this kind of suboptimal um, level. So while the point of this one is about how to like work better, it's not about working more. It's about working smarter. And that includes building really intentional and purposeful rest periods and breaks, not just into like, you know, your summer vacation or whatever, whenever, however your PTO works, but also into into your day. If you've read Bored and Brilliant, which I think I recommended on last year's resolution show, I think this is a good companion to that book because Bored and Brilliant is saying the same thing. Like if all you're doing is letting your mind pay attention to every, you know, all these things that are going on in your day all the time forever until you go to bed, you're never going to have, you know, your next big good idea or solve that big problem that you've been trying to solve forever because you're not giving your brain a chance to actually run that routine in any kind of efficient way. Um, So yeah, that's that. That's rest. Why you get more done when you work less by Alex Sujung Kim Peng. And we are going to take a break for our second sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So 
though a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jen, what's next? Well, before I get into my next pick, I just related to your last pick, Mm. wanted to share a hack that I have for this exact thing. I have this program called the Tomato One Timer on my computer, and you can set the intervals yourself. And due to a back injury that I have that I had to go to physical therapy for, I can't sit in a chair all day, even though I now have a very good office chair and like, you know, have done my exercises and whatever. But I just can't sit for hours. Mm. So I alternate sitting with standing on a very regular schedule because otherwise I will stand for too long. Like I have to be reminded to sit and to stand because I lose track of time. And so it dings every 20 minutes to remind me like, okay, if you're sitting, stand up. If you're standing, sit down. But then I also have every hour or so built in a 10-minute break. Where I just will like, I mean, because I work from home, often I'll just go do the dishes or like, you know, tidy up a space or sit down and read or meditate for 10 minutes or whatever. I do a thing that gets me away from my desk and away from my screen. And some days it's not always possible to take them, but I have found that I am so much more productive and efficient if I do take them than if I don't, because I don't get as burnt out by the work that I'm doing. And if I was in, I think about it this a lot, like, what if I had an office job? Mm-hmm. I think I would like literally take a walk around the block. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, assuming the weather was nice enough or like walk through some halls. Like I, I just is the action of moving and looking at something else is often enough for me to feel a little bit of a mental break. Yeah, same. So, okay. Uh, sort of related to having breaks <laughs> is, so I, I did a lot of, camping this past year for reasons that I will talk about in a later pick. And one of the things, and that it was usually camping, but there was some cabin stuff in there too, which I love a good cabin. <laughs> and and I talked about recently on an episode being obsessed with the overstory by Richard Powers. So like there's a lot of nature-y, you know, things going on here. And I discovered in a bookstore Cabin Porn Inside by Zach Klein and Freedom Moon. And I was not aware, maybe you already know this account exists. It's called Cabin Porn. It's on Instagram and it's got a website and people literally just send pictures of their cabins. This is my kind of thing. And this book is beautiful. First of all, it's like an amazing coffee table book and it has pictures, but also then stories from the people whose cabins these are. And sometimes it's only a couple of paragraphs and sometimes it's like a four page spread about a guy who has a cabin boat and you know he's a professor and you know every on his breaks he will go sail down a different river on his cabin boat like what amazing and i think this in combination with i've also been watching a lot of a british reality tv show called grand designs yes i love grand designs it's so good so i think a lot about spaces now Mm -hmm. and how i interact with spaces and where those spaces are and how they interact with the world around them and like i don't have a cabin i'm not going to own a cabin anytime soon but In addition to just being a wonderfully restful thing to look through, it has also sort of made it feel possible to me. A lot of these people have built these out of like reclaimed, recycled materials, you know, things they scavenged. It just has felt very possible to me that there are more options than we think we have sometimes. And again, like I don't have a piece of land to build a scavenged, you know, cabin on and I don't know how to drive a boat. <laughs> so I'm not going to make, you know, a cabin boat, but it just makes it feel more possible to me. And also it makes me more conscious of how I move through house spaces and like how I can bring some of this aesthetic into my current spaces, even though again, apartment living, like there's only so much you can do, but I just, I find it incredibly helpful in breaking out of the urban mindset that I have because I do live in a city and I do live in an apartment. And, you know, my options are limited by budget and space and resources. And this somehow makes me feel incredibly hopeful and also very conscious 
of the options that I might have. And I don't know. I don't, I, I mean, like, what resolution is this? I don't know. Mm. But if you also like to think about how you exist in spaces and like the idea of cabins and want to be inspired around this and given, you know, inspiration to look around you, I cannot recommend this highly enough. It's just gorgeous and it is very inspiring and I'm loving reading about all of these different people. It just feels possible in a way that I get like I need this to feel possible. <laughs> Even if it's not immediately possible for me. So again, that's Cabin Porn Inside by Zach Klein and Frida Moon. Okay. Um my next one is based on this like idea that I have that I think it's pretty common for people to make resolutions around being more social, whether it's like Social as in, you know, going out with your friends, but also, you know, interviewing for a better job that involves being social or networking more that involves being social. Actually, a lot of resolutions you could make around developing your career involve being like out and talking to people (laughs) in the world. Um, So the book that I'm recommending for that is How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic and Rise Above Social Anxiety by Ellen Hendrickson. I love this book so much, which is weird. I don't even remember how I got to reading it because I don't have social anxiety, but I... Oh, it was because somebody told me it was like what to read after you read Quiet, the Susan Cain book about being an introvert. Like, what do you do with that information after you realize that like that's the kind of person you are? So that's what made me pick it up. And I really, really loved it. So Ellen Hendrickson is a doctor. Um, She is on the faculty at Boston University's Center for Anxiety and Related Disorders. And she herself has very, very severe social anxiety, which is interesting for someone who like spends all day talking (laughs) to human beings in her office. Um, but the book goes in, it's so practical. Like it goes into the roots of social anxiety, like how, I mean, it's not the same for everyone, but how in a lot of, uh, cases it's actually rooted in perfectionism. Like if you can't be 100% competent and 100% pretty and 100% funny, like you don't even want to try. You just want to stay in your house and not go outside. Um, or how we get caught in these mental loops of like practicing the speech we have to give over and over and over and over and over again until we totally freak ourselves out and like cannot handle the idea of looking at any of our coworkers who we're supposed to give this talk to, you know, that kind of thing. And like the ways that we talk ourselves into um, or like work ourselves up kind of, which I do do sometimes, but it's not like chronic. Um, So she goes through a lot of different ways um, to handle that kind of anxiety and handle social anxiety and how to to show people who you really are and like how to accept that that person is good enough to be to show to like your coworkers, your friends, your colleagues, your family, whoever you're having anxiety about, you know, being around. It is it involves a lot of mindfulness. Like there's a lot of triggers and not triggers, um, cues in the book to like when you're being anxious or you can feel yourself start to be anxious in a social situation to identifying exactly what it is that's making you feel that way. Like observing the situation, not assigning value to your feelings. Um, it's a lot of very like 101 kind of mindfulness practices. Uh, but then she goes on to uh, what which sound to me like I mean, I'm not a, obviously a therapist or a doctor, but it sounds like a lot of cognitive behavioral like therapy kind of tricks like um ways of interrupting your damaging thought patterns and what to replace them with and a lot of things like that um she does obviously recommend doing this with, like in concert with talk therapy and you know being under the supervision of your own doctors if that's a thing that you think that you need um but i found it really useful even though i don't suffer from this particular anxiety um but i know a lot of people who do and if even if you're like a person who um like is a manager and is expecting your employees to perform in these kinds of ways, like to give talks or do presentations or network at all, or like be on panels, which I do have um, some of my employees, like I ask them to go be on panels. Um, and so even just understanding from an outside perspective of like how really large amounts of anxiety or nervousness around those sorts of things manifest and like the appropriate ways to respond, it was really useful in that way. So no matter how you're approaching the idea of social anxiety, I think it would be useful one way or the other. So that's How to Be Yourself by Ellen Hendrickson. That does sound incredibly useful. It is. It's like really practical. Um, I listened to it on audio, but obviously it's available in print, but it's really good. Yeah, nice. Uh, My next pick is... It is sort of resolution-y in that. So, okay. Mm. I let me I feel like I don't know why I didn't say this at the top of the show. I don't really make specific resolutions anymore, but I you I do usually pick like a word or a phrase for a year. Mm-hmm. 
like this past year, it was enough like to just get over my resource scarcity issues, of which I had a lot because of various reasons. And, uh, and like just feeling like I have enough time, I have enough space, I have enough, you know, resources, I have enough friends, I have enough mental health, like whatever it was, just, you know, letting myself feel like I have enough tools uh, to deal with whatever is coming up. And I have not figured out what what my word or goal is for 2020. But I do know how stressed out, you know, the past few years have been. And as you can tell from a lot of my picks, a lot of these are about, you know, sort of reclaiming my time, my attention, um, and giving myself places and spaces and tools to have less stress. And the Book of Delights by Roske, which is my next pick, is very much about attention in an interesting way. This is a book of like teeny tiny essays. Like some of them are literally a paragraph long. He started noting on a birthday a thing that brought him joy and then continued that over the course of a year. Every day-ish, he would note down and write a little bit about a thing that brought him joy and how he defines joy and the things that he finds joy in are fascinating because it's not the same thing as like a thing that made me happy. Mm. Like it's, it's more complex than that. And he, he talks about situations that are very fraught. He's a black man in America. So, you know, he deals with issues of race. He deals with issues of gender and he doesn't sugarcoat or, you know, dismiss any of these things as not, you know, potentially terrifying or life altering or whatever that they, they do impact his life in real ways. But he finds joy in and around these situations and as well in things like a pop song on the radio or a good cup of coffee with a friend. So he is building this really sort of complex, fascinating, theory of joy, but it's just in that he's writing these little essays on a thing that makes him feel joy. And it was it's so powerful to read. I just was completely stunned by it. I was sending quotes to people. I was taking pictures. I was underlining. I was just like, this is amazing. (laughs) It makes me feel joy. And it started me thinking about like, oh, yeah, you know, it's so easy to be so overwhelmed by all of the political and psychological and physical issues of our lives. And not that those aren't real, but there are spaces where joy still exists. And making sure that we find those is so incredibly important because, again, otherwise we just get burnt out and scared and fearful and we can't be there for ourselves or for the people and the issues that need us. And so, you know, making sure that I give myself space to find joy and to notice it and to really let like inhabit that feeling along with, you know, witnessing the issues and brutalities and, you know, human rights violations mm-hmm. that are going on all around us, you know, these incredibly complicated political systems. Like we need to do all of these things. But joy has to be a part of that, I think. And the way that Roske approaches it is like a primer for how to approach it in your own life, I think. Like I'm not gonna sit down and write an essay every day about joy, but I do think that I will dip in and out of this book myself and I will try to remember to take time to find those moments in everyday life in different ways in 2020, thanks to reading this book. So if that is a thing that you are also struggling with, I cannot recommend this highly enough. Get it for yourself. Get it for your friends and family. It's so good. Again, that's The Book of Delights by Ross Gay. All right. If you have a resolution to stop yelling at your kids... Have I got a book for you? (laughs) It's called How to Stop Losing Your With Your Kids, A Practical Guide to Becoming a Calmer, Happier Parent by Carla Naumberg. This is the best parenting book I've ever read, like just ever, hands down. I read a lot of parenting books, like a lot, because obviously I'm a parent. I'm a single parent, so I'm doing it kind of by myself, and um, I don't know what I'm doing, right? Because none of us do. That's the end of that sentence. Um, And I am, I'm sure surprising no one, a very volatile person. I have a hair trigger temper and I don't like to be inconvenienced or interrupted or 
overstimulated. So having, you know, twin boys has been a cakewalk. Uh, It's not been a cakewalk. It's been a struggle. And so I have had to really work on not losing my crap with my kids. And nobody wants to be the parent who yells. Nobody wants to be the parent who like, is acting like a child in the situation. You want to be the adult. And this book is so great. It's compassionate both to you for having this issue and to your kids for, like, having to deal with it. She's not judgmental. Um, She's not here to tell you that, like, you're damaging your children beyond repair because you snapped at them for leaving their socks everywhere. Like, that's not what this is. This is not about being perfect or Pinteresty or, like, an Instagram mom or whatever. Um, This is just about learning how to respond appropriately in the moment in a way that you are in control of at all times. So the whole premise of the book is identifying your triggers for like what sets you off and then managing them um, and then helping your kids also like work around them, not in a way that makes your kids responsible for your feelings, or your emotions or anything, but just in a way that they are, you know, being considerate human beings, which is kind of our like whole job as parents is to raise considerate human beings. So for me, um, I, I when after I read this book, I could identify that like my big triggers are things being in my face, which like my kids are now tall enough that they're almost as tall as I am. So when they get really excited and want my attention, they like wave stuff in my face, or they put their hands in my face, or they like get in my face, especially if I'm doing something else and they like want my attention, which is completely normal and fine. But I weirdly, for whatever reason, cannot deal with like something waving around in my face. It freaks me out. Uh, It's just like overstimulating. And I snap when that happens. So we have worked on them instead of doing that, pausing and saying, hey, like just using their words instead of getting up in my face with something visual, just saying, hey, mom, can you look at this? And it has completely changed like our whole house, which just sounds like kind of goofy. But I had not identified that this one random thing was the thing that was going to set me off. I also have a a trigger of when they both talk to me at the same time, which if you've got more than one kid, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But like they talk over each other and I can't focus. I just have a really short attention span, I guess, is the like crux of it. I can't focus on on both of them at the same time, but they both have this expectation that I will. So we worked on that. And like it was more, you know, about me working on my thing instead of them having to like work around me. But even just knowing that like, I'm not a bad person. I'm not, I don't have, as much as I like joke around or will say, yeah, I've got a bad temper. Like I don't actually have an overworking temper. I just have these few things that for some reason I get very triggered by and I have to, and even just like identifying that was so useful to me because then once I figured out what it was, I could just stop doing it. Like I could just manage my environment to, or like set up rules or boundaries with my kids that like removed it. And they are so much happy. Like they're so happy to use their words instead of their hands. If that means that like, I'm not going to freak out, right? Like your kids want, they care more about having a happy, calm, stable environment than they do about whatever, you know, boundary you need to establish or rule you need to make to keep them from setting you off. And some people will have much more common triggers, like being hot or hungry. Like we're all basically toddlers, right? Like being hot, hungry, some combination of that. Running late is one for a lot of people. Crowds is one for a lot of people. Like if you're in a crowd and your kids won't stop crying or yelling or screaming at you or whatever, that's going to set off a lot of people. So even just that, I I cannot recommend it. Even if you don't think that you have a temper problem, um, these exercises in identifying the things that really actually bother you that you've maybe not thought of is just fascinating. It's so fascinating. And it makes your life so much more like friction free to get rid of them because not only are you eliminating the annoying thing but then you eliminate the guilt that you have because you snapped at your children or you snapped at your spouse or your partner or whatever whoever it is that's bothering like annoying you um, or like you know the cashier at starbucks (laughs) um and i don't know it's just like it's just really great (laughs) i'm talking a lot about this one book but i found it really useful not just with dealing with my kids but in dealing with like the world so how to stop losing your with your kids by carla naumberg that's awesome. I love it so much. I gotta love an actionable right? advice book. <laughs> yes. And I just like deeply appreciated how cool she is, like how chill the book is and like not judgmental because parents carry so much guilt, even if you aren't a snapper, you know, uh, even if you appear like completely perfect. The way that parenting is set up in this country now, you just are auto guilt, like auto guilty for no for no reason, you know, and she doesn't put any of that on you. Um, and it's just really nice. It's very refreshing to have an actionable book that doesn't make you feel like a piece of crap. Yeah, no, no joke. Uh, let's see. 
Okay, so this is also sort of of a piece (laughs) with my other recommendations. Sorry, not sorry, because I think this one is really important. And I did talk about this book a bit on the show this year, but I really wanted to highlight it because I found it to be a game changer. It's The Nature Fix by Florence Williams. The subtitle is Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative. And I will say... It's interesting now that I'm thinking about like the Jenny O'Dell and what we talked about earlier about like, you know, giving yourself rest so that you can then be better at things. And there is a touch of that in this book, as you can tell from the title. But ultimately, what this is, is a journalist who is a science journalist looking at research around how nature actually changes, like literally changes your brain and body chemistry. And she goes around to all of these different, you know, scientists and experiments and like literal other countries. She tours the world talking to people about the initiatives that they're doing, the organizations that are using these or places that are just starting to study it. And it is so fascinating because there are actual real measurable impacts in nature on, like I said, our brain chemistry and body chemistry that we now have enough scientific technology to measure. And they're still figuring out, you know, causation and correlation and what factors and this and that and all the other, you know, scientific method things that I only just barely begin (laughs) to understand. But the research is very clear. And the what this boils down to is that five hours a month, like you need five hours a month in nature and you will be physically and mentally healthier. Like that's, that is the one takeaway of this book. But why is super fascinating. And all of the different things like, you know, the smell of pine needles or the sound of water or the way that trees grow, literally those fractal patterns, Mm. the effect that they have on the brain. These are all real things. And as somebody who likes to understand why a thing works, it's fascinating. She's a very accessible writer, and she has framed this all in her own experience of moving from Boulder, Colorado, which is like a city, but very immersed in nature. And, you know, having lived there myself, like I can completely understand how that was a very different experience from her when she moved to Washington, D.C., you know, and is in the middle of this very urban, noisy, hot, crowded environment is a very different place. And she found that her anxiety spiked. And so she started looking into how and why and then started talking to all of these different scientists. And they're doing things like trying to figure out like, okay, will looking at a picture of a tree help? Will looking at a video of a tree help? What about virtual reality of a tree? Like how in nature do you actually have to get to get the benefits? And, you know, what kind of benefits do you get from different kinds of nature? And all of these just fascinating questions. And it's not a stretch for me to want to go spend time in nature. I mean, I grew up camping. I don't have problems with majesty, (laughs) unlike some other people on this podcast. Be angry. (laughs) Um, but, but the reasons why it works were so interesting. And this idea that also, you know, you can just go walk around a park. It doesn't have, you don't have to go to the deep woods. You don't have to go up a mountain. You can get a lot of these benefits potentially from your, you know, your backyard even. Like there are options that aren't leave the city, run away to the woods. That's the only way to get this. Like, no, there are actual things that you could do probably very close to you where you are now that you might have access to that will help make you feel better in your body and your brain. And like, who does not want and need that? It just, it's so amazing. And so, yeah, if you are feeling, you know, crowded and trapped and too hooked into screens, but you want to know more about how nature can impact that. It's definitely an amazing read. If you like the sciencey stuff, it's an amazing read. And just, you know, the case that she builds for getting us all outside a little bit more is so compelling. And I just, I really appreciated knowing how it affects me because now I can identify those feelings. Like when I'm getting stressed out and strung out, I can identify that better and then identify, you know, when I'm feeling less of it better. And I like, I appreciate that. So again, that's The Nature Fix, Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative by Florence Williams. All right. My last pick is Atomic Habits by James Clear. 
um, which is my probably favorite book about habit formation. And this one is applicable to any kind of resolution that involves either forming new habits or breaking them. So like if you want to make a habit that you go for a walk every day or, you know, whatever, eat more kale, I don't know, or like break a habit of smoking or cursing or whatever habits people want to break. Um, This is the most helpful and practical book that I have read about it uh, because it's not um, like the Charles Duhigg book, what is it, The Power of Habit, um, is very science-y, like it's very neuroscience-y and I appreciated that and I really like that book, but this one is more about how to design your environment to make good habits inevitable and bad habits like impossible for you to do, uh, which was really helpful for me. So if you don't like, I mean, so many books about like how to make habits and how to be healthier or improve your life in any way that you want, again, feel very judgmental, like feel like if you can't make yourself like just pick yourself up by your brain bootstraps and go to the gym, like just make yourself do it, then there's something like wrong with you. Um, But that is not what this book is saying. This book is saying that we will all fall to the level of our systems. So our systems either support us to make good choices that encourage the habits we want to have, or they don't. And that has nothing to do, it's not a value judgment. It doesn't mean that you are a good person or a bad person or lazy or not, or better than other people or not. It just means that you have either set up a system that helps you or you have set up a system that doesn't. And so all of this this book is is a, a tips on how to um, set up systems in your life and like design your environment and make time, which is a hard thing for a lot of people, um, to make those good habits that you want to form just kind of happen. So uh, if you like Gretchen Rubin, which I love Gretchen Rubin, and if you are familiar with her like four tendencies framework, um, I think that this is really useful used in conjunction with that. So like, if, for example, if you know that you're an obliger, a person who only responds to external expectations, then you know that you need a system of habit formation that involves outer accountability. Like you're not just going to put it on your to-do list and cross it off. Like you need someone holding you accountable. And you can use that knowledge to set up a system and an environment that encourages you to make the good habit or break the bad one. I am an upholder by Gretchen's whatever um, framework. So I will do the thing because doing the thing has value in and of itself to me. And I knew that going into reading this book. So I could take what information James Clear provides and Atomic Habits and apply it to the knowledge that like, I will do the thing because the thing, like doing it makes me happy. Um, so those two things, and I don't remember what, um, or it's the four tendencies. She has a book just called The Four Tendencies um, by Gretchen Rubin. So that will help you, that book will help you understand how you respond to expectations of yourself or of the world, which I think has a lot to do with forming habits and breaking habits. And then atomic habits will help you go a little bit further. So an example, I guess, would be like, Um, Like going to the gym, I was not a gym person (laughs) or an athletic person by any stretch of the imagination until I had a really chronic injury that had a lot to do with like muscle weakness. And so for the past year and a half, I have been a very like from the minute I decided to do it, I've been going to the gym three to five days a week for a year and a half. My entire body and life is completely different than what it was. I'm much healthier than I used to be, obviously, because how could you not be? Um, And this book really helped me set that up so that like from the jump, I could just have that habit. And it's just inevitable because my day is designed to put me in the gym at a certain time. And at this point, I can wake up and 30 minutes later, be at the gym and legitimately be like, oh, I'm here. Like, how did I get here? I don't remember the past 30 minutes, like that thing where you just are on autopilot because it's just a habit. So if you in 2020 want to have more good habits or break some bad ones, I recommend this. It's Atomic Habits by James Clear. And that's our resolution show. Huzzah! Go do the thing. Uh, kick 2020 in the teeth, but in a nice way. I don't know. <laughs> do whatever motivates you, like something maybe a little less violent. Have a great year, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I am on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And yeah, please go leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Makes the show easier to find for other folks. And we will be back next week. 